Welcome to At The Source. The date is 3rd of April, 2020. This is the fourth episode in my coronavirus and food special series. It's been a week since our last episode, and whilst it feels like a lot has changed, a lot has also stayed still. Here in the UK, we're now in week two of official lockdown, and although there has been a lot of evidence that people seem to be ignoring the rules, on the whole, life seems quieter than any of us has ever known it. As of 9am this morning, 38,168 people were confirmed positive for the virus in the UK. To put that into perspective, that's 30,000 more than when we last spoke. And as of 1pm yesterday, 3,605 patients in the UK who tested positive had died. Globally, the death toll has passed 55,000 with confirmed cases well over a million. I think the numbers are so high at this point that it's hard to really understand what they mean. But each one is someone's mum, dad, friend or child. It's hard to not lose the human aspect to all of this. And so whilst this is a hard and pretty miserable way to start each episode, I think it's an important one. Onto the show itself. So today I have a bit of an eclectic mix of guests for you. Uh, I have Mark Olver, who's a comedian and founder of Belly Laughs, which is a series of charity events which pair comedy and food to raise money for the homeless. He's in Bristol, just down the road from me. We have Hope Light. She's a blogger and host of Femi Dish Food Podcast, and she's in Portland, Maine. And we have Suze Davey, who is owner of Cascara, which is a vegan cafe in Bath. To kind of counterbalance from the, the quite um, hard intro, uh, we have to start by wishing Mark a happy birthday. <laughs> Mark, this must be the weirdest birthday you've ever had. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is the weirdest birthday I've ever had. But then... Uh... Uh, whatever day it was yesterday was one of the weirdest Thursdays I've ever had and uh, the weirdest end of March I've ever had. So, like, it's definitely weird. But I do try and keep things as normal as possible. So I went for a walk today. I waved at my mum and dad from a safe distance away. Um, I got a chocolate cake delivered to me from uh, Elliot and Tessa from Boxy. Uh, I'm still happy with that. It's an amazing looking cake. I'll put. I'll send you a picture. I'll send you a picture, and you can put yeah. it on uh, on the podcast. You could have sent us all a slice. I think that that would have been better. But hey ho, a picture will do. A, I don't think it's vegan, <laughs> and B, I don't <laughs> think it would make it all the way to Maine. Oh, fair enough. Sorry, Hope. okay. Yeah, no cake for me. It's all right. Are you Mark, a vegan? I'm not uh, vegan, and I'm not in Maine. I'm not a vegan. I'm the vegan. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I, again, nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. Also, it's a bit, it will be gone. It will definitely be gone. Right. So, um, I thought it would be good um, for each of us to, well, not me, uh, because all I do is talk, but for each of you to talk and tell me a little bit of what your typical day looked like pre coronavirus and now. I just kind of get an understanding of what's changed. Suze, if we start with you, so you own a vegan cafe in Bath. Yeah. So, how how are you doing and what are you doing and i hope you're okay yeah i'm 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 all right actually this week's all right last week was a bit of a struggle um my typical day is i'm generally at the cafe before 7am um starting to get prep done and then i am i work about 12, 11 12 hour days wow um so i'm usually home by like half 7 so it's quite a long day and I tend to do that six days a week at the moment. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock having all this free time. Um, and yeah, the first week was really difficult. I think I didn't realize how much I sort of was relying on that routine. Mm -hmm. So it took some getting used to. But the last few days have been 
quite nice. I've been enjoying sleeping a bit more and staying in bed. It's always enforced rest kind of. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, I think I really, really needed it. I think I was quite close to burnout. So although it's not ideal, it's, yeah, it's all right. Um, Hope, tell us a bit about what your typical day looked like versus how it looks at the moment. Um, So even though I have a background in food and um, was a chef, I have two young children. And since becoming a mom, I actually do childcare from my house. Um, So I had to make the tough decision, I think three weeks ago now, to close my business um, to help prevent the spread. So I went from being self-employed with lots of little guys around uh, to just me and my two kids. And our days very quickly lacked structure and like, just disintegrated into total chaos. <laughs> um, and now we're kind of hitting a routine of, you know, kind of sticking to some of the same things we would normally do. Um, but my project, the reason why I'm on this interview is um, I also host a podcast called Femidish, and my co-host and I would meet together to make recordings. And the whole vibe of it was about getting together um, and bringing people together. And of course we can't do that right now. So that project has totally also been put on hold. Um, so I went from very, <laughs> um, I went from very busy days to, um, almost nothing going on. And Mark, how about you? Um, do you know what? It feels like it couldn't have changed more. So I live in Bristol, uh, work in London uh maybe five or six days a week so uh i'll stay in hotels four or five nights a week or i'll do three hour drives or two and a half hour train journeys and i work in uh tv studios uh with live audiences uh i work in comedy clubs uh with live audiences um so pretty much every thing i do has gone really and in terms of my in terms of my hobbies my hobbies include going to the theater going to the cinema and uh eating in uh very nice restaurants and for that matter very not nice restaurants and they've gone as well so uh it couldn't i couldn't have had uh i couldn't have had more of a kind of a 180 degree uh spin and it's and although we're in maybe two weeks of lockdown, maybe 10 days of lockdown at the moment here. Uh, Most of my work was cancelled about three weeks ago uh, because people knew it was going to come. So, so yeah, so now I am self-isolating in Bristol. Uh, I maybe try and do a bit of admin in the morning. I go for my daily recommended exercise once a day. Uh, I, I've got this little thing with myself where I try and put off watching Netflix until as late in the day as possible. Uh, yeah, because no I know TV that if I two o'clock, <laughs> if I <laughs> if I get there at eleven a.m., then that's me gone. Um, and actually, I'm quite good at it. Maybe a little bit of lunch, uh, walk, try and get a structure. Um, I'm quite lucky to have um an M and S just uh near my house, so I don't know if hope. Uh, has spent time in the UK, Hope, or are you aware of? I have not. Are you aware of the beauty of Marks and Spencers? <laughs> I, I can't say that I am. So, Marks and Spencers. How would you describe Marks and Spencers to an American? Mm, it's from a food perspective. It's 
a very, very nice version of Walmart, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Would so that you, be a good comparison? Maybe. You know all those images, uh, Hope, you've got of uh, people in the UK uh, – um, with their in the fifties or sixties, wearing bowler hats and eating uh, and uh, eating very nice sandwiches. You got those images, maybe of Wimbledon. Of uh, uh, Marks and Spencers <laughs> is uh, is the, the most quintessentially British chain of supermarkets and uh, and food places. Famous, uh, famous for its bras. Uh, it's very famous for its uh, for its underwear uh, being <laughs> non non glamorous and functional, um, and but I very think, comfortable. But very comfortable, and I think that probably yeah. that probably describes the food as well. <laughs> non glamorous, <laughs> functional, very well made and comfortable. And I've got one of those about ten minutes walk away from me, so I can go over there every day, and you know have a little mooch around and get my lunch there. So, yeah, that's my time. It's quite an interesting point there, Mark, that you're saying that you're going there daily um, because I think that there's a bit of a, a, a fear almost here in the UK, and I don't know if it's the same in, in America, where I don't know, should I be going to the food shop every day or should I just be going like once a month or um, what's right? Because I think at the moment so many people are – judging and tutting at so many other people because we're not entirely sure what we should or shouldn't be doing. So you're going to get your uh, very comfortable but not necessarily exciting food daily. So in um, in the U.S. here, every region is kind of operating under different um, recommendations or different uh, restrictions. Um, but I did read somewhere, and I, I think it was my local governor, the, the governor of Maine, who said grocery shop once a week was what they were aiming for people to do. That's what we've been doing as well, trying to stick to once a week. But that's mainly because I find the supermarket too terrifying at the moment. Stressing me out the other day when I went, I couldn't deal with it. I agree with Suze. No, well, it wasn't even busy because they were only letting about five people in. It was the queuing system. And then once you were in there, you had to really know what you were going to get and you had to make it look essential. So I was scared of putting beers in, in my bag and chocolate. So then I was trying to get like normal things that I didn't really need just so that <laughs> it looked like I was buying essential items. What would a normal really, thing be? I don't know, flour. Flour, pasta. carrots. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> I would argue that beer and chocolate is essential right now, but it throws up a really interesting point, doesn't it? Because I think... No one truly, really fully knows what they should or shouldn't be doing because advice seems to be quite varied. So, you know, this brings me quite nicely into takeaway territory. We, for the last two weekends, have had a takeaway and we've made a point of ordering from independents and kind of supporting them through our money um, at a time when a lot of the independent food businesses that are still open are really struggling. But you know, I've seen people on Twitter saying, oh, you shouldn't be having a takeaway. I, I don't. No, I think we should. I think if people, for me, like the, our having our cafe as a takeaway business wasn't going to work. However, I fully support those who are doing that because they're just, they're trying to save their business and they haven't been told that they're not allowed to do takeaway. The government has said that that's fine. So we, I believe we should still support them. And, you know, if you want to get a takeaway, get a takeaway and they'll have procedures in place to, 
be clean and be doing the best that they can. And they've obviously evaluated whether or not they feel it's safe. Yeah, I so think I, I, judgment, I think. and I, I think I agree with Sue's, but also I would uh, put that into going for your shop as well. So, like, if you're worried about buying beer and chocolate because you don't think of those as essential items, if they're on sale in the shop, then you should be able to buy them as essential items. I mean, I went to yeah. the Sainsbury's near me the other day, and. You know, they're selling cushions and they're selling clothes and they're selling, you know, you can go and do all the things you would normally do and they're going to let you buy them. I don't think people should be buying cushions and things at the moment. I think people should just go in, get the things they need and go. But I'm not being told to not go to Marks and Spencer's. I'm not told to, if I'm told to stay in, I will stay in, but I'm told that I'm allowed a bit of exercise every day. And for me, you know, a 30 minute round trip to the shop feels like enough of exercise, you know. No, I, I don't disagree that um, people should support businesses that are able to remain open and offer takeaway. But saying that um, our family normally gets takeout probably three times a week and we have not done it in the last three weeks, just out of like our own anxieties and fears of, you know, the virus potentially being on the packaging. Um, we've seen a lot of reports coming out about how long it can live on different surfaces with plastic being um, quite a long time, a couple of days, I think it was, that it could live on plastic. Yeah, I think it definitely has changed the way that we're receiving our takeaway, so to speak. So obviously no contact and washing down packets, but you could also say that people should be doing that with the stuff that they're buying from the supermarket. We went to the co-op or I went to the co-op um, on Sunday. Sorry, Hope, we're mentioning all these different UK-based supermarkets. <laughs> I went to a supermarket on Sunday and the the ladies who served me didn't have gloves on and she touched everything as it went through into my bag and then I touched it all and I I actually felt quite anxious in the same way that Suze just mentioned it it actually made me feel quite stressed and I got home and I washed everything down and left it on the side for a bit before I put it into the cupboard um and I think yeah the the point is is that there is a there is a lot of confusion out there and it does all stem from fear. And it just makes me wonder whether we need tougher guidance to come from our governments. Perhaps they are still leaving too much wiggle room around the the way that they're telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing. And actually maybe a, a slightly more, oh, I don't even know how to say it. I, I can hear how I'm coming across like I'm going a bit right wing or something, but we almost need a, a more tough approach where they actually say, look, these are the rules. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. And if you, if you don't do things right, then you're going to get in trouble. What does everyone think? So I think I agree. and I, I don't think it's about the rules being tougher. I think they need to be um, made clearer and easier for the average person to understand. Um, so there's a lot of like phrases that are being popular, popularized, like social distancing um, and this concept of staying at least six feet apart from the person next to you. And then we're seeing all these people posting on social media that, you know, I went out and sat in a circle at in the parking lot with our friends and we just sat six feet apart from each other. And I don't know if that's um, okay or not okay because they are following the directive of stay six feet apart, but they're also kind of intentionally going to meet up with a larger group. Um, 
So just being clear, like don't socialize with other people who do not live in your home unless it's while going out for essentials, like to the grocery store or something. Um, I think the vague language is what makes it so confusing and, and um, kind of hard for people to understand what's right, what's wrong. Yeah, the way I, I read something that uh, the best way to deal with it is that you imagine that everyone you see has already got it. And I think if you, if I always have that in my head. So, so although I, I work with people for a living, I'm actually a fairly antisocial person and spend quite a lot of time on my own, um, which is quite good for me. I'm quite used to that idea. But when I see someone walking down the street now, I am quite happy to cross the road if I see them so I don't have to pass them. I do imagine that they've got it. When I go to the shop, when I go to Marks and Spencer's, when I I wander around, I, I take my own bag for life with me and put everything in my bag for life. So I don't use their basket. I then empty that onto the conveyor belt and then the person who is scanning it, scans it through, and then I pick it up at the other end and put it back in the bag and go home. And that feels safe to me. However, I know that that person serving people would have served other people and someone could go and, uh, you know, look through the shelves and browse and, and touch other stuff. But I sort of, I think I found the level that I'm comfortable with in terms of my anxiety about getting it. And even when the government tell me, that I have to be stricter about that, then I'll be stricter about it. But as Hope says, you know, if you're not given that instruction, then how mm-hmm. are you going to know? Do you think that coronavirus will result in a changed society? So this applies as much for America as it does for the UK. Do you think that we'll come out of this with maybe a more socialist outlook, perhaps? God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> a woman um, after my own heart. <laughs> no, I'm calling in here from America. And um, uh, in March, 10 million Americans applied for unemployment. And for anyone who is not familiar with the American healthcare system, that means 10 million Americans are about to, or just did on April 1st, um, lose their employer-sponsored healthcare, if they had it to begin with, um, which would mean now we have 10 million additionally uninsured people in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so uh, there's definitely a lot of issues with the, um, just the system that we're working with, um, our healthcare system, our industrial food system. And I think it would be just absurd if we somehow got through to the other side of this and didn't change our system in a, in a very, very deep kind of sense. It feels almost like we can stop looking after number one and, and have a kind of have a less atomized outlook and start focusing on the greater good. And again, for the UK audience, that is, um, a line from Hot Fuzz, but it felt like it it fitted quite nicely here. So we're we're all starting to pull together and look after our communities. We're we're trying to help each other rather than just looking after number one. Hope, can I ask a question about um, sort of the health service in America at the moment? Because obviously, there's always you know this idea of Obamacare and then all the things that they're trying to do, and lots of right wing people in America talk about you know, the NHS as this 
terrible thing that they'd never want in America. Do you think with everything that's happening with this at the moment, do you think that will change typical or majority of Americans' perception of sort of a nationalized health service? So I think, um, and, and some of it is I hope, that it will change enough opinions that we will be able to move towards um, a national health service system or um, as we refer to it here in the States, like a Medicaid for all sort of system. Um, that being said, the way the United States is culturally is it's so different regionally that even the responses to the coronavirus and what people are recommending, um, I'm in the Northeast and the way our states are reacting and the way um, people's opinions are being pulled here is very different than what we see coming out of um, the southern portion of our country, or you know, it even differs, although it's somewhat similar from the West Coast. Um, so we have some geographical political differences that will be interesting to see whether or not the South can get on board <laughs> with these things that need to happen. But surely they'll get on board because of what's happening, right? Like it's affecting every state in America. So surely people in... Um, you would like to think, but I just saw some statistics come out that... Um, you know, using anonymous cell phone data to kind of track people's movements. Um, you know, they were saying that social distancing is really working in these same regions that I just mentioned, like the Northeast and the West Coast and parts of the Midwest, where people's daily movement seems to have been reduced to about a mile a day on average. Um, this is not happening in the South. Um, and it comes from our response to it, too. We don't have a national response. We have regional responses where governors are setting their own rules for states and or, or not their own guidelines. And so in the state of Maine, where I live, um, we do have a shelter in place order now. It just, our governor just did it. My city actually did it a week before our state did. Um, but huge parts of the South have no recommendations for social distancing or sheltering in place. And but the whole point of lockdown is that it only works if the whole country does it. Right. Surely. So, yeah. and, and that's a big fear too, is that, um, the people who are still moving about and traveling, there's nothing to stop them from traveling all the way across the country into these places that are, you know, um, actually practicing social distancing. That's bonkers and dangerous. Yeah. Quite frankly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just get it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's quite crazy, to be honest. <laughs> I think one of the ways in which we are perhaps having a, a slightly more socialist outlook in the UK, or hopefully we'll, we'll drive towards that, is the fact that everybody, regardless of, it seems, regardless of what their political stance is or what they do or who they are in the UK are all getting behind the, the NHS. And actually, that's an amazing position because only a few months ago with the Tory government, we were almost looking like the NHS was starting to crumble away. And it feels like if one good thing comes out of coronavirus in the UK, it will be the fact that the NHS is is valued again. But also the BBC as well. I mean, the fact that that in this country we have, you know, a a free, in my opinion, unbiased uh, broadcaster that gives us all this information and is doing all these incredible things for us at the moment. Again, I don't know how good this has made it to America, but so the BBC have started, because schools are off, the BBC have, have basically started putting on educational programmes for kids in the morning and just uh, 
the whole sort of nature of things like the NHS and the BBC, um, the work they're doing is absolutely amazing. And I, I kind of pity anyone who tries to take that away from us after all this. Yeah, um, I have to say it's it's becoming apparent that the kind of rugged individualism that uh, Americans can be so famous for is is a hindrance in this situation. <laughs> Suze, as a small business owner, this is obviously an incredibly tough time for you and your team. Do you have any idea what might happen next? How how do you see it developing as time goes on? Um. Oh God, <laughs> it's it's I've, a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, I've really just been telling myself that it's going to be okay. Um, I live with a very realistic person who levels me out quite a lot, so I was freaking out that, it, like, on a personal level, like the business was going to go under, and I would lose everything that I put into it. Um, now I think you know businesses will bounce back. Um, I think. Unfortunately, we probably will lose a lot. We already have lost a lot of people, but we will lose more. But I do think that they put the measures in place at the right time and that it will level out and we can go back to normal. And if anything, I think maybe that there will be quite a lot of good that will come from it. I feel very supportive by my customers already. Um, and I haven't even been open. Like, we've been shut for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although I haven't had any grants or anything yet I do believe that they will come through and that most businesses will come out the other side um but I'm lucky in that I've got you know as a business we've got some money in the bank because we've had a good year mm-hmm. and not every business is like that so I do worry about them but I am just trying to stay positive and not think of the bad things that might happen if that makes sense like I, I believe that we will I will reopen my cafe soon I don't know like you know in a couple of months probably not next week yeah I think that um you know we're in week two of a three-week lockdown um as implemented by the government and I'm pretty sure that next week they will tell us that it's continuing but I totally agree with you because when this all first started and in some of the earlier episodes that we've done There was a lot of talk of how many restaurants and businesses and cafes will actually be able to reopen. And I do think that as time has progressed, attitudes have changed and shifted into a more positive mindset in that this is this isn't an economic downturn. This isn't a a dog eat dog thing. This is everyone. And therefore, when everything does come back to normal there is absolutely no reason why your regulars won't return and why it won't go back which is again you know kind of a, a positive way to look at this um but i'm glad to hear that you're in that mindset as well i wasn't last week but uh yeah i am now <laughs> the sleep and um being able to just have a kind of enforced breaks probably yeah. done you some good and and the shock of it all at the beginning. I mean, I was pretty angry when we were told that we had to close because it just didn't feel fair. But it mm-hmm. is fair that, you know, they're doing what they can and you've just got to sit it out. Yeah, I totally agree. I guess my question to Susan that how does she see this developing as time goes on? I can ask to Mark and Hope as well. I mean, how do we see this playing out? What do we stay in lockdown for longer or do we loosen up and risk a second wave? What what do you think that we should be doing? I think the difference between uh, what Hope was talking about with the culture of America and the, the, the culture of the US 
and the culture over here. And I think you're totally right, Alex, that a lot of the kind of more sociable socialist principles are the things that are going to get us through this in terms of the NHS, in terms of education, in terms of the BBC, in terms of working together as a collective. However, I also think that some of the things that will get things back to normal again quicker will be some of those things that aren't necessarily as fashionable possibly amongst the people in this podcast of those market forces, of uh, capitalism, of banks needing to protect their money, of uh, interest rates and all that sort of stuff. And I think it will I think it will be fine for a lot of people, but I do I worry about certain small businesses who maybe don't have cash reserves. Uh, I worry about what's going to happen to them if their uh, if their landlords don't support them a little bit when they come back, if the local councils and the government don't support them with rates when they come back. I think punters will, and I hope punters will go back and start eating. And, you know, I'll go to Susie's Cafe and eat great food as soon as it's open. But you, Susie will have uh, landlords who hope who might have financial problems and you know hopefully they're getting support from building societies and banks as well it's a really complicated one uh tessa and elliot from boxy this morning who bought me my lovely birthday cake um have been given a grant uh and i think most other people in Wapping wharf will be given a grant uh they're all independent restaurants i really hope they're supported financially um and I hope they can carry on. I don't know. It's really mm. – I started that really positively and then I sort of <laughs> tore myself out of it as I went along. <laughs> These coronavirus episodes that we've been doing have been really weird because there's been some really intense and very kind of upsetting stuff, but then everyone's having a laugh and it kind of yo-yos. I think it's just um, a, a example of what we're all doing, which is just going a little bit mad, I think. So I can – I can only talk from being a, a stand-up comedian. So although I do stuff with the food industry, um, I am a stand-up. And I have lost literally every bit of my income for the next six months. And I was going to have a really, really good summer. <laughs> I was going to do oh, – uh, I was hosting events for the Euro 2020 football. I was going to the Olympics. Uh, my – my flights and my hotel were booked in Tokyo. Um, and that was going to pay me quite a lot of money, but also going to be a really good time. And every single TV show I've had has gone. Every single gig and festival I've had has gone. So, Do you think that they'll come back? Um, do you think they're cancelled for they, good? Yeah, or do you they, think that no, these I things... think some of them will be postponed, some of them will go. But me as an individual, I am... And uh, Dave, get ready to bleep this out if you want, but myself as an individual, <laughs> I am possibly fucked. However, <laughs> as an individual, I am able to get a mortgage holiday and I am able to cancel my pension and I am able – my outgoings of mass – I've, I've cancelled my cleaner. <laughs> um, my outgoings have gone – 
but I now can still get a job. Like I've applied for jobs, I've interviewed for jobs, I'm working in care homes or working in supermarkets, working in the type of places uh, that I can. So I think as an individual, as a freelancer, who is an individual, whether you are a writer or a comic or a painter or even someone, a chef who freelances in restaurants, I think we will be fine because we can just get jobs. The people I'm worried about are the comedy clubs I perform in and the theatres that I go to and the restaurants that I love eating in because they have so many moving and whirring parts about running a business. Suze, I'm absolutely astounded by anyone who can run a small business because I can't even <laughs> run my own life. So I'm absolutely amazed. I'm really <laughs> But you do. And not only do you run your own life, you run other people's lives as well. And so I'm always amazed by people who can do that. The individual, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to be all right because I can find other places to work and I'll stop going to Marks and Spencer's, which hope is very expensive. And I'll start going to Lidl, <laughs> which is not very expensive. You're not going to get a comfortable bra there, Mark. I'm not, you never get a comfortable bra in Lidl, but you can get uh, a chainsaw and a stepladder. So, you know. <laughs> so let's try and end this on a, on a positive note. Once this is all over, what are you going to do first? We'll start with you, Suze. I'm going to go to a pub and buy a really nice cold pint. And then straight away after that, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and buy a coffee <laughs> and a cake. And cake. <laughs> and cake, yeah. Hope, what about you? Um, I have an obligation. My, uh, my four and a half year old has been making a list of all of the things that he can't do, that he really wants to do when the germ goes away. So we will be checking off his long list of things, which um, he'd really like to go visit his aunt in New York City and go to the zoo. And he'd like to visit his great Scott in Boston and go to the aquarium and go to the park with his friends. So that's what we'll be doing. That's a nice list of things to do. I like that um, he's got kind of going to New York and then going to the park in the same list. I like (laughs) that. For him, he doesn't really recognize um, how far away some of our relatives live um, because we put the children in the car and we drive at night while they're asleep. Oh, so they wake up in a new, exciting place. (laughs) Every relative is one sleep away. (laughs) Perfect. I think I'm going to go into Bristol and have a day of food. I'm going to start with breakfast. I'm going to go maybe to Ironworks for brunch and then maybe go over to Whopping Wharf, have some, hmm, what would I do? Squeezed burger. Uh, And then for dinner, probably it's got to be the cauldron. It's my favorite place in the city. So for me, I'll be eating, 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 and then rolling home. (laughs) What about you, Mark? Oh, I just need to gig. I just need to gig so much. I've got this really horrible fear that the first comedy club I do or the first uh, TV audience that I do uh, after all this, I'm just going to stand in front of them and I'm absolutely going to blub my eyes out. Oh, Mark. Already. (laughs) This is supposed to be a positive note. (laughs) I've already warned uh, TV producers and production managers and even camera operators. I'm like, look, uh, when we're allowed to touch each other, if I'm back at work, I am hugging the shit out of you. I am hugging 
everyone. Because, I mean, Alex knows me and Alex knows uh, what I'm like, but uh, for Hope and Suze, like, I am a workaholic. Like, I like I get paid quite well to gig, but if I'm not being paid, I'll still gig. And, like, the money is nice because I've got a mortgage and stuff, but Hope, but as a comic, showing off in front of people, yeah. and I'm not able to do that. I mean, Hope and Sue's both cook food, and you can cook food in your house, and you can cook food from your family. But, oh, God, I mean, I am such a show-off that a show I need. <laughs> I need those rooms full of strangers, and I need to make, oh, yeah. So I am, uh, as soon as I finish it, and, and I also, I've, I've already got a plan. Like I've all, so Belly Laughs, uh, for people who don't know, is a thing where I put on gigs in restaurants in January when those restaurants need the money. And so people buy their food from the restaurants and then they pay an extra £10 to get the comedy um, and that goes to charity. Um, we need to – we're going to need this. We're going to need to do that as soon as this is finished because we're going to figure out ways of getting people back into their cafes and into their restaurants. So, Suze, as soon as you're allowing people in, we'll do a gig and we'll encourage people yeah, to come great. in on one big night. But I'm also arranging, again, as soon as we're allowed to, arranging a massive big festival in Bristol with famous comedians and restaurants doing the food in a big venue in Bristol. Um, and so that money can, the food money can go to those restaurants and uh, the comedy money can go to Fair Share, which is one of my favourite charities that do amazing stuff with food surplus. Um, and, On the previous uh, episode, actually. Oh, yeah, they are. They're incredible. Hope, do you know about these sort of this is Sorry, Alex, I'm taking over now. I'm getting giddy. Um, <laughs> You're showing off, Mark. You're showing off. Uh, yeah, I am. This is it. This is what happens. I need to talk to people. Um, Hope, do you know about all these amazing food surplus charities that we've got over here now? Um, I, some of them sound familiar. I'm, I'm not familiar with all of them now. It just it blows me away that all these restaurants have too much food. Although all these uh, supermarkets and wholesalers, because sometimes a bit of the packaging is spelt wrong, and so it'll go onto landfill. And you have these amazing charities that collect it and then send that food to people who need it. I just think that stuff is amazing, and they need our support as well. So that is the long answer, Alex. Sorry. I'm going to okay. work really hard, make people laugh and try and make people some money. I have to say, Mark, I think you might have just um, announced publicly in true Mark Oliver style that I'm going to be really busy again, aren't I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Alex. You are definitely <laughs> 100% when this is finished. Uh, you are absolutely uh, going to scratch my eyes out because of the amount of work that we're going to do with Betty Laughs. Yeah, 100%. But Mark, I saw, as you were saying it, I saw Alex's face get redder in the vein. <laughs> oh, Alex, you don't know anything, mate. I've got a 1,500-seater uh, in a stadium where I'm going to try and fill out twice in one day with food providers and audience members 
Uh, I've got famous comedian. We'll sell the ticket. The ticket sales will be the easy bit to do. Uh, everything else is going to be an absolute nightmare, and we're going to make as much money as possible. So, for those of you that don't know, um, I help Mark with Belly Laughs by doing a lot of the admin and the um, liaison between the restaurants and Mark. So, um, on that note, I think it's probably time for me to go and have a lie down. <laughs> And um, all that's left to say is thank you so much to all three of you for joining me. Um, as usual, it's been quite a meandering conversation, but hopefully the listeners will enjoy it as much as I have. And hopefully you guys did too. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you, small child. <laughs> my little one. <laughs> I just need to read my outro and then we're good. I'll be back in a few days with another panel of guests to continue this conversation. For now, take a listen to our previous episodes. And if you need something a little lighter and have already listened to most of our back catalogue, I have a brand new episode out this Sunday recorded pre-coronavirus with cookbook author and queen of fire cooking, Genevieve Taylor. Remember to wash your hands, stay home as much as you can. And if you're feeling isolated, get in touch with your neighbours, family, friends, or look for a local support group. We're all in this together and community is key to making it out the other side. Stay safe, everyone, and see you soon. Bye.